1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23 through 33. Let's read this. And I've got a couple illustrations I want to show you on the screen, and then we'll get into the sermon for tonight. But it's all these today, and I thought they'd really help us kind of wrap our heads around these chapters we're dealing with. Let's read from verse 23. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. Let no man seek his own, but every man another's wealth. Whatsoever is sold in the shambles, that eat, asking no question for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. If any of them that believe not bid you to a feast, and you be disposed to go, whatsoever is set before you, eat, asking no question for conscience sake. But if any man say unto you, This is offered in sacrifice unto idols, eat not for his sake that showed it, and for conscience sake, for the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. Conscience, I say, not thine own, but of the other. For why is my liberty judged of another man's conscience? For if I by grace be a partaker, why am I evil spoken of for that for which I give thanks? Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give none offense, neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God. Even as I please all men in all things, not seeking mine own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. Let's pray. Lord, we ask for your blessing upon this time. May your church be edified through your word, and may you be glorified during this time as we allow you and the Holy Spirit to teach us in the word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to talk to you tonight about freedom with responsibility. And Paul writes here that all things are lawful for me, and they really are for the believer under grace. We are in the age of grace. This is the time. It's no longer a mystery. Christ has died on the cross. Grace has been given to sinners. We experience it. We have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And now all things are lawful for me. The law has been fulfilled. We are no longer under the law. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, he says, don't, don't be brought back under that bondage. However, he comments with that, that all things are not expedient and all things do not edify. So all things are permissible. All things are allowable. Not all things are beneficial. Not all things are constructive. His follow-up statement to this is verse number 24, where he says, let no man seek his own, but every man another's wealth. We should always put another before ourselves. This is how he begins Philippians chapter Number two, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. So Paul is saying here, yes, we have freedoms, but we have these freedoms with certain responsibilities. Now, this comes from the stronger brother's point of view. And I'm going to preach this to you from the stronger brother's point of view. But it, it often comes across that way in the legalistic sense, and it never gets viewed or applied from the other brother's point of view. You also have a weaker brother. Some of you are just going to be a weaker brother the rest of your life. That doesn't mean you're less of a Christian. That's not what Paul's meaning here in stronger and weaker. It's not like one of you is David and the rest of you are not. It's not strong and weak in that way. It's strong and weak conscience. Some of you have a stronger or a weaker constitution. How many of you you can just hear something gross and you feel like you might vomit? Is that a thing for some of you? How many of you you can see it, you can smell it, you can be around it, it never gives you a problem? Right? Our constitution can be just a little different. And so Paul is using that, that type of thinking in regards to our conscience, in regards to what we're able to do and not do. So as we go through this tonight, I don't want to just give it to you from the stronger point of view, but that is how it's given here. So it's easier for me to preach 
and illustrate to you. But I also want us to try to consider the weaker point of view. As some of us are wired that way, we have a tendency to be more legalistic because we are wired that way in relation to the stronger brother that God has placed with us. Because while he says to the stronger, all things are not helpful and that they could offend your weaker brother. So you must be careful with these things. That applies in our day back to the weaker. All things that you can't stand or deal with, it's not wrong for the stronger. And you must be careful that you're not sinning against his conscience in your prohibition of something that is not actually a biblical sin. So there is two sides to that coin. Now, before we dig into that, I want to show you two illustrations. You can give us the first one there, if you would, Brother Jimmy, to help sum up chapter 6 through 10. So we've been in this for a while, and he's been dealing with Christian liberty. Now, this first illustration, it shows that we get both the negative and the positive boundaries for exercising Christian liberty. So we have here that we're free from the law in all things. On the positive end, we must then edify others in all things. But on the negative end, we can't let these sinful practices master us. So that, I thought that was laid out pretty well. Now, the second illustration kind of lays down the things Paul's talking about here. Now, how many of you in your lifetime, since you've been a Christian, have had to deal with this issue of eating meat sacrificed to idols? There's a lot of Bible given to this thing that is not even going on in your life, okay? So we must understand that Paul gave the principle of a thing that was happening in the Corinthian church that now can be mass applied to lots of things that are going on in our life. How many of you, since you've been a Christian, have had to deal with some things that maybe you didn't think was wrong, but other people thought was sin? How many of you have had to deal with some things that somebody didn't think was a sin and you totally thought was wrong? Right? So this is very applicable once we understand what's going on. So let me lay this out for us here. So we have these, these circles is what we're going to call it here. The, the blue center of the diagram, meat, eating, and temple worship. So Paul deals with this eating meat while involved in the temple worship. So if we were at a temple tonight and we were worshiping a demon or an idol or we were worshiping Satan, and as a part of this, we had meat and we were eating this meat involved in the temple worship. Is that a sin or is it not a sin? And Paul presents this as, well, that's a no-brainer. That is obviously a sin. This practice engages in idolatry. This practice engages in spiritual immorality. It causes other brothers and sisters in Christ to follow into sin. And it dishonors God because we're worshiping other gods. Okay? So that middle circle there, that's a no-brainer. Just, just, you can't do this. Okay? Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not commit adultery. These are things that are just... Clear, we shouldn't be doing them. Even if the Bible doesn't have a thou shalt not, if it goes against the laws of our land, then we're to obey the laws of our land. I get to a point, I understand that. But you, you know what I mean. This the center blue circle here. Now, we have the second circle there, that lighter blue circle. Sacrifice meat purchased at the meat market. So this steps away from that just a little bit. Paul says here, you're not down at the temple. You're not actually involved in the, the, the worship of this false god. So treat the meat simply as harmless. God created it. God told Peter, rise, kill, and eat. Don't call unclean that which I've made clean. You purchased it in a neutral environment. It was in the market. It wasn't at the temple. It was in the market. You, you, you went to the market. You bought some meat. You don't know the meat's history. Don't ask the meat's history. <laughs> don't, get its, don't get its paperwork. Just get the meat. Go cook the meat. Go eat the meat. And as believers, we understand there's no problem with this. We're not Jewish, so we don't have the Jewish 
dietary laws. We're not Muslims. We don't have the Muslim dietary laws. We're red-blooded Americans who eat bacon. And those are our dietary laws. Cook the bacon, eat the bacon. Yes. Figured I could get an amen out of there. Got a future lucky in the crowd here. You're doing good, Ben. That's great. <laughs> yes. For the bacon. Doesn't involve idolatry. Doesn't involve immorality. Doesn't cause a weaker brother or sister to stumble. It glorifies God when the food is received with thanksgiving. Then this, this outer circle here, which I don't, you kind of can't see it. Very light blue there. Sacrifice meat, but it's eaten in an unbeliever's home. We're going to get into that one just a little bit. Verse 27, if any of them that believe not bid you to eat, bid you to a feast. So if an unsaved host does not mention where the meat comes from, then eat freely. And you guys are taught manners. Do you go to somebody's house and ask them where they got their meat? Unless it's like sometimes you might in a complimentary way, like, oh, this is really good. Where did you get this? That's different. But you don't like pick through the meat they've put on the table and say, before we eat this, can we know where this comes from? It'll just be bad manners. And Paul says, practice that here and just go ahead and eat the meat. However, verse 27 or verse 28, if the one serving the guests makes a point that this meat was sacrificed to idols. So you go to an unbeliever's house and they say, I'm serving you tonight. We, we, we offered this up to Dagon uh, today and I brought it home. And that, that's what we're like. They're continuing in their idolatry there in your house. Well, then it's best that you don't play into his devotion to his pagan God and you abstain from eating the meat. For the sake of testimony, for the conscience of weaker believers, you should quietly abstain from eating the meat. Now, could you as a stronger Christian, a stronger brother there, go ahead and eat that and say, this guy's foolish. He shouldn't be worshiping this God. And I'm not worshiping that God by eating that meat. You could, right? It's eating meat. Paul's point is not that. Paul's point is, in that instance, you get a hamburger on the way home from McDonald's and you don't eat that meat for the sake of the, the testimony of Christ to an unbeliever. All right, so hopefully those are good for you. You can turn those off, Brother Jimmy. Thanks. First heading I want to give you tonight is from verse 23 through 28. We are responsible to build up others in the faith and to seek their advantage. So we have freedom, but we have freedom with responsibility. One of those responsibilities is this, this, this responsibility to edify others. Paul talks about it like I should be seeking the good of others before myself. Now, where would Paul get such a wild idea? Jesus. What did he say? Yeah, love your neighbor as yourself. So this is a command from Christ. Remember earlier, Paul said, now this is not a command from Christ, but here's what I'll tell you. Well, this is a command from Christ. Love others, love your neighbor as yourself. Love God with your all, love your neighbor as yourself. We have freedom in Christ, but we don't have freedom in Christ to harm another believer. In dealing with the meat offered to idols, in chapter number eight, Paul instructed believers not to take part in the pagan feasts. Now he's dealing with private meals. Verse 27, if any of them that believe not bid you to a feast and you be disposed to go, whatever set before you, eat, asking no questions for constant sake. First, though, he instructs a believer not to question the meat purchased at market for use in their own homes. Now, this would be before you are invited to go eat in an unbeliever's house. Verse 25 and 26, whatsoever is sold in the shambles that eat, asking no question for conscience sakes, for the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. Now, that's just a quotation from Psalm chapter 24, verse number one. The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. 
several passages of Scripture. And I'm, for sake of time, I'll give you the references. We're not going to read them tonight. I was going to read them, but y'all are already tired, so get you on out of here. Several passages of Scripture deal with all food being permissible to the believer. One is Mark chapter 7. Do you want to read that when you get home? Mark 7, 14 through 23. We dealt with that in the class just a moment ago with the parents. He says it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a man because the things that go into the mouth end up in the dunghill. That's exactly what Jesus says there. He said, no, it's what's in the heart. It's what comes from within the man that defiles a man. Where does murder come from? Well, somebody else's heart. And they murder somebody. It defiled the guy who got killed that someone else had murder in their heart, didn't it? And that's Jesus' point there in Matthew chapter 7, or Mark chapter 7. Acts chapter number 10, verses 9 through 16. That's where Peter's on the rooftop at Cornelius' house. And the Lord makes clear to him, you, you, you thought these things were unclean, but I'm telling you they're clean now under grace. And he says, rise, kill, and eat. And then in verse 28 of Acts chapter number 10 there, he says to Peter, I don't mean this so much for the meat as I do for Cornelius, who's right downstairs. He's a Gentile. Enter his house and share the gospel with him. I want him to be saved. First Timothy chapter number four, verse three, four, and five. That's where Paul writes to Timothy. And he says, there's this false religion going on. And part of that is they're forbidding people to eat meat. That's a whole different scenario there. But he says, this is a, this is a part of this uh, pagan religion that's happening out there. So food is permissible to the believer. Meat is permissible to the believer. Even, Paul says here in our text, if the meat was purchased for use in the believer's home, originally came from the temple. Paul says, even then, it's okay to eat. You're not using it for the use it was originally intended. You're taking something and you're not letting it go to waste and you are eating it there. I know I'm driving these points home about this idolatrous meat and we don't enter into this anymore, but I want to just get clear exactly what Paul is saying here, what he is not saying, and the level to which he will go to make his point in regards to this question he's been asked about meat offered to idols because it's very helpful in our living today because if we're not careful, we'll end up living unto license or we'll end up living unto legalism, unto law. There's balance there. There's middle ground and we can have freedom in the middle and, and be happy, have joy. Now, the second point he makes out from verse 27 to 30. So 25 and 26, what you're going to do in your private home. He starts with verse 24. Let this be your mentality. Don't seek your own, but every other man's wealth, every other man's good. Love your neighbor as yourself. 25 to 26, what should you do in your own home? 27 through 30, what if you're asked to go to an unbeliever's home? Verse 27, he says, eat what is before you without question. Verse 28 and 29, he says, if somebody mentions that the meat was offered to idols, then you don't eat it for their conscience sake. You don't want them to think you're worshiping their idol. Basically what he says there. 29 is, we're going to get to it more in just a moment. But verse 28, if any man say to you, this is offered in sacrifice unto idols, eat not for his sake that showed it. For, and for conscience sake, for the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. Conscience, I say, not thine own, but of the other. For why is my liberty judged of another man's conscience? All right, the first part of 29 is, is in this heading. The next one I'll answer in just a moment. Now, let's apply this. From the stronger brother's point of view, we're going to pick a taboo topic. Now, I'm not even going to name one. I've dealt with this before and I picked one. I picked one from my past that maybe is not a taboo thing anymore. And we joke and we laughed. And then on the way out, somebody said, I still think that's sinful. And that offended me. So I don't want to offend anybody here tonight by picking a taboo thing. I'm going to call it blank because I've just got blanks here in my notes. So fill in the blank in your mind. You pick a taboo topic. Something you think that no, Christ, no good Christian should ever do this thing. You're thinking of it right now. I can see you're getting angry. You're gritting your teeth. You're stomping your foot. 
Bless God. <laughs> Shouldn't dare do this thing. All right? In my Christian liberty, I feel it is okay to do blank. In my home, then, I am going to do blank. When I'm invited to someone else's home who wants to do blank, I am there also going to do blank. However, if another Christian mentions that they feel we shouldn't do blank, then with them I would not do blank. While blank is okay with me, I would never want to hurt their faith through blank. Does that make sense? Now, I took a little bit of liberty there because Paul never actually mentioned what we should do when, when I go to your house or you come to my house in this text. He mentioned it before, but he doesn't mention it here. He actually said here, if an unbeliever asks you, but that one's, that one's fair. That's not a weaker brother, stronger brother. That's a believer to an unbeliever. And we'll deal with that in just a moment when we talk about evangelism. But in this regard, from the stronger brother's point of view, you may think it's perfectly fine to do X, whatever that is. And in the privacy of your home, you're free to do this. If you're not sinning against God, if it's not affecting your relationship with Him, if it's not harmful to your family, you go for it. If it's, just, if it's not a sin, if it is a sin, you can't say, well, I know the Bible says thou shalt not commit adultery, but I don't feel like God's mad at me for committing adultery. And so as long as nobody knows about it, I can commit adultery till I'm blue in the face. No, the Bible says don't commit adultery. In fact, the Bible says everybody who commits adultery will go to hell. It's exactly what it says. You say, well, oh, I've committed adultery in my life. Am I going to go to hell? Not if you've been forgiven. But if you're currently practicing adultery or fornication and you're not repentant of that, meaning you've stopped and asked the Lord to forgive you, then the Bible says you're not saved. You're going to hell. It's pretty straightforward, isn't it? But in this regard, we talk about like these gray areas. Is it, is it a sin to sit on the left side of the church or do I have to always sit on the right side? Well, if I'm over at your house and you say, well, I really want to sit on the left and I don't have any problem sitting on the left, we'll, we'll sit on the left. Said I wasn't going to use an example, but I used one there. Now let's try to think about this from the weaker brother's point of view. Because if you are wired like a weaker brother, and let's just make the case here. I heard Steve Lawson, one of my favorite preachers, preach a really good sermon on this passage. And he started the sermon by saying about himself, he said, I am a weaker brother. He said, that's just how the Lord made me. That's how I'm always going to be. He said, it causes me to be a little more legalistic. But he said, I, I try to appeal to you stronger brothers because you seem to be able to do some things that I can't do. And it's not sinful for you, but he said, it's sinful for me. So if, if you're here tonight, I'm offending you by calling you the weaker brother. One of the greatest preachers in America, the, the modern George Whitfield, says he's a weaker brother too. So you're right up there with him. Is that all right? Would I offend you, Miss Wiggins, if I said you're just like Steve Lawson? That's a compliment, isn't it? That's wonderful. But from the weaker brother's point of view, if we're not careful, we're just angry all the time. We see what other people are doing and we think they ought not be doing that. And it just bugs us to no end. We're mad at them when we try to deal with them in regards to this. And the Lord may want you to deal with them in regards to this. Typically, the stronger you're going to deal with the weaker. But it could be that you have a weaker conscience, but you're going to help somebody see that this is not a good testimony thing. But if you're angry about it, how much help are you going to be to them? Zero. You're mean about it. They're not going to listen. They're going to say, what are you so mad about? Jesus saves. Enjoy the Lord. Okay, so weaker brother. In my Christian liberty, I do not feel it is okay to do blank. All the weaker brothers unite, right? Woohoo, that's right. 
I don't, I'm not on this list of do's. I'm on this list of do nots. Praise the Lord. In my home, I would never do blank. I know that others in the faith feel that it's okay to do blank. While blank is not okay with me, I would never want to hinder their freedom to do blank. That's Paul's teaching. Now I flipped it around there, put it from the weaker brother's point of view. That's exactly what he's saying here. Now he didn't have to address it that way because the Corinthians, remember how he started the letter? You're strong in the faith. You are blessed with all spiritual blessings. He said, you've been called to be saints and you are just, boy, you guys are just really excelling in your Christianity, but you're excelling so much that now you've embraced some carnality. And this is not becoming of saints. You shouldn't be doing these things. And you remember he went on to say, I even hear that this is going on in your church. And that was pretty crazy what he said he heard that was going on in their churches. So to this bunch, it's a little different. But to a Baptist church in the southern United States who brings their Bibles to churches, prefer it to be in their hands than on a screen, right? Woohoo, that's us. Sing from the hymn book. That's the way Peter and Paul did it. It's easy for us, from the weaker brother's point of view, to just be bitter and angry and mad at anybody who does anything any different than we do, even though they're not sinning. So what's the weaker brother's position? I would never do this. But I can't find in the Bible where it says it's sin. And I feel like others in the faith seem to think it's okay for them to do it. The Lord's not convicting them about it. So this is not okay with me. But who am I to hinder their freedom? I don't want to bring them back under bondage. So we're responsible. The first heading that we get from the, big, the bulk of this chapter is this responsibility we have in freedom. We're responsible to build others up in the faith and seek their advantage. Easy from the stronger brother's point of view because it just means sometimes I'm not going to do this. Hard from the weaker brother's point of view because it means I've got to get over it. I've got to quit being a fuddy-duddy. I've got to quit being a legalist. I've got to quit being mean. I've just got to let some things go. Now you just heard me do the opposite on an actual sin. Let's be clear. I'm not saying, let's just use a current cultural reference. I'm not saying that we're to embrace the homosexual movement in America. No, the church is the line. Has to be. Used to be the church and the state were the line. The state's no longer the line. But the Bible is clear and the church can't budge on that. Now, what's our goal? To, to run them out? To put them all in jail? No, our goal is to help them see the love of Christ that will change them from that desire to sin to a desire to be right with God. We hold a strong line on, on lots of things that the Bible is clear. These are sinful things and they cause people to go to hell. But all, all the rest, I think we've got to let it go. I think we would have more joy in the Lord if we could let it go on ourselves. I think we'd find that a man that hath friends must find, show himself friendly. We'd have a whole lot more friends in our lives. Second responsibility we have, verse 29 to 31, we're responsible to glorify God in all things. So conscience I say, not thine own, but of the other. For why is my liberty judge of another man's conscience? For if I by grace be a partaker, why am I evil spoken of for that which I give thanks? Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. So here Paul's dealing with some obvious objections to this teaching. Verse 29, why is my liberty judged of another man's conscience? 
Why should I not enjoy food for which I have given thanks? The simple answer is verse 31, soli deo gloria. We should glorify God in all things. Now, go back to chapter 8, verse 9. We cannot glorify God while we're causing another Christian to stumble. You can't say, I'm doing this to the glory of God while it's causing somebody else to doubt their faith. Or he'll go on to say here in chapter 10, to not even come to faith. You're, you're that stumbling block to them. You, that's never to the glory of God, right? Never. If you're causing another brother to stumble, it is not glorifying to God. Now, go back to you weaker brothers. If you're using that in a legalistic way, oh, they're causing me to stumble. Are they really causing you to stumble? Or we just have a different preference in them. See, that, that gets into a different ballgame there. But we should do all things to the glory of God. Our own conscience may be strong enough to participate in an activity without stumbling, but never use that liberty in a way that would injure a fellow Christian. We're responsible to build others up in the faith and to seek their advantage. We're responsible to glorify God in all things. We live solely Deo Gloria, to the glory of God alone. And then finally, we're responsible to seek to win the lost. Verse 32, give none offense, neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God, even as I please all men in all things, not seeking mine own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. We should never allow our actions to make it difficult for those who are without to come in, to be able to reach the Lord. We should never allow our actions to hinder other members of the church in witnessing for the Lord. We must not live to our own benefit, but to the benefit of others so that they can be saved. Now, let me give you a note here on consistency. Because if you just sat down and you read your Bible from chapter 6 to chapter number 10, Paul living in this manner could seem very inconsistent. Sometimes he's eating kosher food with the Jews. Other times he's with the Gentiles and he's eating whatever they're eating. Well, which one is it, Paul? Which one should I do? And Paul's answer to that was, well, it'd be all things to all men. To the Jew, a Jew. To the Greek, a Greek. So if we're not careful, it seems like he's being inconsistent. But if we... See the principles he's just laid out for us. What he's actually being consistent in is his teaching, which is apostolic, meaning it is scripture. It's like a weather vane. If you watch a weather vane on the on the roof of a barn, there it blows here and there, and it just seems to be all over the place. It seems so very inconsistent. But in reality, what's more consistent in telling you the direction of a wind than the weather vane? It's always consistent, unless it's broken. It may seem like it's all over the place, but it's actually just pointing in the direction the wind's blowing. And this is what I would say about Paul. We'd like for him just to say, don't ever do this, 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 and this, and always make sure you're doing this, 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 and this. And anybody who disagrees with you, they're wrong and you're right, and you've got Bible on it. Not always that simple, is it? Some of you have some family members that's not that simple. You have some friends that are not that simple. You have some people that used to be friends. You wish you could be friends again, but it just wasn't that simple. Well, the simple thing here is let no man seek his own, but every man, another, man, uh, another man's wealth. When we fa- fail to balance our freedom with our responsibility, it stops being freedom and it becomes lawlessness. I'm free in the United States of America to have a gun. And I'm, I'm glad that I am, and I do. But I'm not free to take my gun into a public place and start discharging the the ammo all over the place. I'm also more sensible than just to leave my loaded gun laying around to where my children can get to it. 
Freedom always comes at the price of responsibility. Otherwise, it's lawlessness. It's no different in the faith. We are responsible to build others up and to seek their advantage. We're responsible to glorify God in all things. We're responsible to seek to win the loss. Are there some things that a mature Christian can do in the privacy of his own space that he would not do in public? Well, yes. As Christians, we do have freedoms. This freedom was purchased for us by Jesus Christ, so it's very precious and we must be responsible with it. The Bible teaches us that freedom comes by knowledge. John 8, 32, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. In the human sense, the more we come to understand about the atom, the more freedom we have to use it wisely. When we use it unwisely, it can be very dangerous. What we know about knowledge in regards to our faith is that knowledge must be balanced with love. Knowledge that's not balanced with love is something that tears down, not something that builds up. Knowledge of the faith, knowledge of the Word and the power of the Holy Spirit should always be building up the believer and the unbeliever. Now sometimes for the unbeliever, it's got to tear some things down before it can build up. That's true. But we're not careful. We're the biggest haters on the face of the earth. Why? Well, I just don't think they ought to be doing that. Is it a sin? Seems awfully sinful to me. Yeah, but is there a verse? Like, do you have Bible that this is a sin? And if you do have Bible that it's a sin, is there anywhere else in the Bible where maybe it wasn't a sin? Or maybe it was a sin at one point, but then under grace, that thing's been forgiven and it's been, you know, you used to couldn't let your dog off the leash on Sunday or Saturday. Poor old dog. He just wanted to run and play. That's work. Did you, you're like, you know the whole smart home thing that's going on right now? It's pretty neat. We've had it for a long time, but we've attached it to Wi-Fi now. Like the church parking lot lights, they've been smart for years. Parking lot lights everywhere have been smart for years. It gets dark outside, what happens with parking lot lights? And it gets daylight outside, and they turn off smart lights. We've had them since the 20s, or whenever, I don't know when. Well, they, they have this now for religions. Did y'all know about this smart home for religions? So if your religion forbids you to do certain things at certain days or whatever, your smart home will make sure to do it for you so you're not working, so you don't have to change your standard of living. I don't know if I'm happy about that or if that bugs me. I haven't figured it out yet. I think I like it. I think it's great. But I'm not allowed to flip a switch on, but I don't want to sit around in the dark all day on whatever my religious Sabbath might be. It's unique. Knowledge must be balanced with love so that it doesn't tear down. So freedom comes from knowledge. The strong Christian not only has knowledge, but also has experience. We can look back, we can see how the Lord has dealt with us through the years. Some of you here who are hung up on some things, you weren't always. When you first said you had no clue. There were some people who led you to this and helped you to understand good Christians shouldn't be doing this. I'm not saying that's bad or wrong, and I'm not saying you should change. I'm asking you to ease up on those who haven't changed yet. Who might not ever change? Because somewhere along the line, somebody was patient with you as you came along in the faith. Somebody just looked the other way or just let you go. Aren't you glad? What a blessing that is. You've got to be careful. Experience must be balanced with caution. Paul's already taught, take heed lest you fall. If you think you stand, take heed lest you fall. The strong Christian knows that he has this freedom. But he also knows that freedom involves 
responsibility. Knowledge, experience, responsibility. All of these things are involved in our Christian freedoms. It's not legalism. It's not license. It's liberty. It should be liberating. Under the law, what could we do? There was no, you could do, you could do everything in the book. And the moment you left doing everything in the book, guess where you found yourself? Still in bondage. Hope I don't die before I do this all again the next time. Jesus has freed us from this. What a blessing it is. Are we living as blessed people? Are we living as people who say, kind of wish we'd go back to some of that? It's not what God wants from us. All right, we can be done. Are there any thoughts, questions, comments?